Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I go into the archives and sometimes just sit there and read old briefs and look at advertising campaigns and realize my team will hear me say, why can't we be the 1950s Timex? And so how do you continue to be so appreciative of the past, but morph that into what today's consumer is looking for? Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Marketing Vanguard podcast. I'm Jenny Rooney coming to you from Adweek's headquarters in New York City. And I'm so thrilled today to be joined by Sherry Fabiani. She's the CMO of Timex. And Sherry, uh, thanks for being here and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really love your podcast and listening. Oh my goodness. It's thank really you. exciting. Thank to you. To be talking to you now. <laughs> and then you'll be able to hear yourself too. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so excited you're here. We're all excited you're here. Um, my colleague... Um, Jordan and Al and everybody else here at Adweek, we're, we're thrilled to have you join us because I think it's just everybody wants to hear the Timex story. And I think what's really cool and unique and what we're going to unpack is how you've taken uh, an arguably um, sort of contrarian uh, approach to marketing the brand and and sort of building engagement with your core customers. So we're going to talk about that um, and really how you're sort of evolving the brand, obviously. Um, so much more to come there. But I think I always like to kick it off by asking the folks I'm I'm interviewing just to tell us all a little bit about you. You know, what's your story and and kind of what's your path that led you to your current role as CMO of Timex? Thank you. Thanks again for having me. I'm super excited. And um, like most CMOs or people in my position, head of marketing or product, whatever it may be, it's usually typical that it's not a very linear world that you come from, and it comes from many different areas. I'm super excited to say that I came from footwear and apparel. Um, and ironically, sports has been a oddly common theme mm -hmm. for me in my past. I loved being in footwear. I would kind of say back then it was, and it probably still is, very fast-paced, cutthroat, never-changing. Mm -hmm. And I thrive on that. And I realize that's a thread throughout my career. I've been in product and marketing and probably in the t last 10 to 15 years more focused specifically on marketing. I love my journey. Started with Converse, most amazing job mm -hmm. first out of school. And um, back then it was actually a basketball company just as much as it was for Chuck Taylor All-Star. So I'm absolutely dating <laughs> myself, Jenny. Um, and so it's hard to believe for you know Gen Z coming up and saying, wait, they made <laughs> basketball shoes? But it was so fun. It's actually where I met my friends for life, colleagues that turned into friends. I actually met my husband there. 
And um, from there, I went to champion. Awesome. So went right into apparel, but focused on NBA, WNBA, and USA basketball. So I'm like, how is this job open? I came right from Converse. And this is like such an amazing segue of putting shoes on players and then all of a sudden working in the uniforms and all of that and consumer products. So super fun. It's pioneering and doing the things that I've actually loved doing in my career, finding a problem statement and opportunity. Wide shoulder jerseys back then were made for college, but not allowed in the NBA. And we actually pioneered that, which is super exciting and working with Alan Iverson, who back then fashion and streetwear and he was our model and helping to develop that. So super, super exciting. I'm just commenting on the fact that just listening to this so far, I mean, you've always kind of put yourself at this intersection of culture and brands, which is just so fascinating. Absolutely. I feel like that's what most marketers or brand builders need to do. What are the insights, you know, live by data-driven insights, but be consumer obsessed. Making that wide shoulder jersey was based on watching consumers literally outside of champs with them coming out with their jerseys back then saying, what do you have? Why did you get it? Then going into more research and finding that. And I just love that intersection. Um, So that part has been super exciting. When I decided to leave, I have no idea why I wanted to come back to cold New England, but I really missed New England after living in North Carolina. And I really started to digest and think, what's next? Where do I pivot to now? I've been licensor, licensing, doing product marketing, product marketer. But what do I do next to really round up my skill set? And I, I say I took a step back. I've been told by other people it's a step sideways to really round up my career. And I really wanted to learn partnership mm-hmm. marketing. And there was this really unique role that just opened up and it was a brand new role mm-hmm. at Timberland. And I took that to work with their biggest partners of the world, which were Foot Locker, Foot Action, Champs, Journeys, And working with them to now be a handoff versus developing products and marketing up front, be the handoff and really work to sell it in um, into those accounts and really find a way. How does Timberland get a window in the spring, not just October, November, December and fourth quarter? And so I really love that. But in that, in the insights, we also discovered something while we were with the product teams and working on what the next boot would be. And we were going into inner cities and people were telling us that, oh, I I have to get the new Timberland boot and, you know, we may not pay electricity that month or it's a badge of honor I needed. And we walked away, you know, while they loved the new products, you know, feeling really, you know, really an opportunity to Mm -hmm. do something different. And we worked together with those insights. And then we said, we ended up launching something called Community Builders Tour. So we went back into those inner cities and we give back to them. But it wasn't a cookie cutter, which was really nice. We went in and what's their problem statement? What do they need? And working with leaders, it was not easy, but I did both jobs. Um, I still worked with the biggest customers, but I took this on as well. And it was so rewarding and so fun. Um, But... Timberland was based on commerce and justice, and it was really important to synthesize those two and give back to those those communities in need and communities that were supporting the brand. Super fun, super interesting. Got to do service alongside Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC who wanted to come out with us. We did something with Usher and the late Congressman John Lewis. Fascinating, unbelievable, and giving back and feeling so 
fulfilled mm-hmm. emotionally and at the same time still making sure that we, you know, we worked with retailers to partner and so it's still to drive business, but it was feeling so much better about it and giving back as well. And Tim Miller was really investing in that, which is amazing. So, I mean, you you know, footwear, and that's such a such a hot market. I mean, obviously, it's just like of all the things that you could wear, it's it's one of the things that people um, – I think self-identity is so tied up in, you know, no pun intended, but <laughs> the shoes you wear and <laughs> – That was good. Um, was I didn't good. see it coming. Um, <laughs> Where's your drum? I know I need that. Um, you know, but um, – but, and yet you're now at Timex. So talk about what happened between those years and now. So I really started to, as I started to pivot and go into other companies, I really realized that problem statement and taking a road less traveled was what fueled me. Someday, maybe I'll Mm -hmm. slow down. I ended up going to Rockport, part of Adidas Group, and Mm -hmm. going to an old man shoe company, but trying to make this younger and finding a new audience and bringing that relevance, introducing women's. It was the first four-inch heel they ever made. And I swear, well, you're in New York. I could wear that thing and wish I still had it to this day and, mm-hmm. and run around the city. But continuing then to go into consulting and work for different, applying practices of marketing to different mm-hmm. industries. And again, mm-hmm. it wasn't when I would come in, teams would be like, what's your approach? I didn't have a blueprint for that. That playbook had to be developed in partnership with them. And so- through that, when I was consulting SodaStream, very disruptive company, I said, Coke or Pepsi oh, yeah. is going to buy you. Um, they're based out of Israel, thinking of all them at this time. But they, PepsiCo ended up buying them. They just really weren't just making bubbly water. And I loved that. And so I started really to disruptive. find yeah. these niches. Then I went to Build-A-Bear. I mean, who doesn't want to work for a company that you know their mission is putting a little more heart to life? But learning so much there and what they were doing in an experience that was known as a store model and bringing it online. And now, since then, even more of a full-blown entertainment company. So just really exciting. And during that time, the former CEO from Rockport called me and just said, can, you know, I have an opportunity. Can you just come by? And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. It's watches. I have no interest. I'll come by for just a little bit and help out. I have, so Timex is part of Rockport? No, no, no. Sorry. He was oh, at okay. Rockport. And then he is um, now the group CEO for Timex Group. Got it. And so it. he was playing acting president at the time for Timex and part of the CEO for the entire group. And, and how long ago was that? Five years ago. Oh, wow. So you've been at Timex for five years? I have, shockingly. And, and this yeah. like time warp of pandemic, social unrest, all the things that have just uh, keeping the, you know, the, the Timex ticking during that time um, and what we had to do um, and stay relevant and keep going. We actually didn't stop yeah. during the pandemic where many companies were not innovating and dropping new products. We didn't stop the whole time. We just kept dropping yeah. new products and working on the foundation of turning this brand around, making it relevant. Okay. So when you, when you, well, first of all, I mean, when you joined, what was the state of Timex? You know, Timex 
as a global brand in the U.S., it was really known more as a mass brand. I believe more consumers saw our brands in mass market than anywhere else. And in this time, they were part of this turnaround. The CEO joined a, a little bit before me and really working to understand consumers and, and, and what types of products could be relevant and grow beyond that and grow globally as well. I started, there was no brand guide. There was, you know, I just really started from the beginning. And it's been such an exciting journey as we started to develop our voice and the look and feel and do marketing at the same time and work with the product teams to find new collaboration or, or partnerships. And so it's been a moving locomotive in a consumer product that's about a 22-month time period but being mm -hmm. able to just constantly be very agile of what's needed and to be able to, to infuse new products and new stories um, to consumers around the, around the world. So, and um, talk briefly about Timex's history. So, we're about to celebrate our 170th birthday or anniversary, however you want to look at it. And it has been such an incredible brand. I go into the archives and sometimes just sit there and read old briefs and look at advertising campaigns and realize my team will hear me say, why can't we be the 1950s Timex? Why are we so mm. afraid to be so out there? Well, like they had these, you know, live campaigns of it takes licking and keeps on ticking that was based on durability. No, we're not based on durability now. We always make a durable product, but that's very provocative, both the statement and going on live TV. And so how do you continue to be so appreciative of the past, but morph that into what today's consumer is looking for? And so we're going to talk. Yeah, go ahead. That's been the journey and the and what we've been able to work together, both product marketing, the whole the whole intersection together to to bring that to light. And I want to get to that in in one second, but I must I must um, observe that um, it's a challenging competitive market, especially when you think about how many people walk around with smartwatches on their wrists on the one hand and on the other, perhaps luxury watches, right. That are, you know, status symbols or they're just things that, you know, um, they feel like is something that they've worked to achieve or, you know, exactly. uh, spent a lot of money on. So how do you think about where Timex fits against, um, those, you know, competitive, um, forces against the brand? When we, when we look at, we look at data and we listen to consumers while smartwatches are not going to go away and a really important part of a staple for a lot of people. We also understand that, look at who needs a watch. You don't need a watch to tell time and mm -hmm. really understanding. And, you know, the CEO came from footwear as well. And we realize that passion and that emotion into putting on your favorite shoes and jeans and accessorizing. That has also pivoted to where people want to accessorize and they want to have a, a self-expression into everything from their glasses to their jewelry to their outfit. And so 
what watches have become is a statement piece of that. And it's not only about price. You are so right about the luxury world and what's been going on there. We have a luxury division as well um, at Timex Group. And so that is super important to them. And that will always be. But this accessible market to be able to use that self-expression and drive that emotion, whether it's through a partnership or it's our own designs and what's trending to be able to connect to consumers through that storytelling. Mm -hmm. We tell more stories and I am blown away by consumers and editors to tell our story. And when I'm stuck on words, sometimes I just go in and I just go back and I read all the comments, whether on our website, on social, read the articles that Mm -hmm. blow me away. I say that the power of PR and storytelling, where Mm -hmm. I work for some really amazing companies, but a lot of times the storytelling wasn't told, it was a product and a price, you know, what to buy and to really... I pinch myself to say these editors are loving the story. And that's from WWD. That is from, you know, fashion press. And that is from Mm -hmm. the watch world. So Mm -hmm. across the board of people really appreciating this idea of this company where a lot of people and new consumers didn't know that 170-year history. It's a new brand to them, which is super exciting. It really is. I mean, but it is that balance, right? Because Timex is so so iconic. It is such an iconic brand. And um, people, you know, listen, people, frankly, of my generation know it from decades ago in a very um, meaningful way. So how do you, I mean, this is the age old question and, and so many brands in, in a similar circumstance are, are trying to figure out how to do this. But like, how do you preserve, and you've touched on this, the integrity, the equity, the history, the credibility of the Timex brand, even as you bring it forward um, to newer, younger audiences. And by the way, some of those would be, you know, remembering the old Timex. And then to your point, some may have no no awareness of the history. Exactly. How do you kind of strike that balance and where do you go deep? It's really, it's in your 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 brand voice, and your product portfolio. So I look at it in those two ways. The people that knew about us, that's where reissues. That's where we bring back some of the old styles and tell that story. New consumers have come into the fold. For example, our new Q collection, and we've continued. That was a a new franchise reestablished with a reissue, and now we've done colors and extension and brought it into women's it's never been in. Because consumers love it. It started with the story when it first launched during the court's crisis. Mm. But then we've just pivoted into partnerships and and really exciting new look and feel. We just um, did a collaboration and, and, and launched something more, if you know, you know. And it's based on another company's, you know, some of the street names. But it's been really fun selling out in seconds each time we're just blown away. Yeah. It's been super exciting. And that's and for look- reissues. Sorry. Oh, so sorry. When you look at the pivoting of reissues, getting to that other audience, but introducing yeah. new ones, and then you go and just look at trends and what's going on in other partners and collab partners that introduce brand new styles too. 
we could have pivoted, put it this way, even before me, when smartwatches really came out and said, wait, we don't want to do this, but brands that stay true to who you are and just keep on going and sticking to the foundation of what you want to do and, and help to turn that around and staying consistent. I think that's what's prevailed to people way before me. I'm, I'm old, but I'm not 170 years old. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's cool. The reissue concept is awesome because obviously you're going to get brand new younger consumers who are just going to see the concept of reissue and be like, oh, that's cool. That's something that was hot years ago, but exactly. I want that now because – um, as every generation seems to lo- ultimately love nostalgia or recycle trends or bring things back. And it's sort of the, you know, the thrill of the find, which I think persists no matter what generation there is. And and so a lot of that kind of recycling or, or what's, what's old is new again concept would resonate with that group, um, even as you talk about these brand collaborations and, you know, just looking at your website. I mean, you've done a lot of things um, – with outside brands and entities, um, you know, to create um, just really cool products that that um, you know that that probably speak to a range of consumers while still being true to that core um, exactly. core exactly. I, I, iconic aspect of Timex. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the latest campaign because I know that this is something that's super cool, and I referenced it at the top of our conversation in that you you really took sort of a contrarian approach um, in your messaging. Um, with this campaign. So share that with us. You know, you start really thinking about how consumers spend their time and listening to consumers back from what you see going on where this anti-hustle culture and wanting to slow down and do what you love. And we really started to look at the premise of like, how do you spend time and what do you want to spend time on? And Post-pandemic has given people the opportunity where we were speaking about how many days do you go in the office, what do you do, where can you work from on the days you're not there, and do what really the best you comes out when your heart is fulfilled. And what is that? And what do you do during your time? And inverting the notion, what used to be known as a waste of time, fills your heart and your soul to something that you really enjoy, whether that's And it doesn't have to be something so difficult. It could be taking your pet for a walk. It could be, um, you know, just playing with your kids or trying something brand new. So many people are making side hustle businesses that are now their passion and following Mm -hmm. that even more so. And so we wanted to celebrate that, but inverting that notion. Yes. Mm -hmm. Do people sometimes have to pause and say, you know, waste more time? Wait, what? I've always been told that's a waste of time and don't do it. We have looked through the articles, the comments, and shockingly, I mean, it is really, it's all neutral or positive. And there's Mm -hmm. always the, the naysayers, but I think it's just people celebrating this notion of you know, doing something and not feeling pressure to do something that you love. It could be sitting in the sun and reading a book or finding it started to watching my pet, like follow the sun and lying on that little sliver of my puppy, <laughs> like lying in that sliver of sun. I'm like, she's wasting time doing what she loves. And yeah, she uh. has to get up. But celebrating that I think was needed in the world today and I across the world. We've heard from India. We've heard from markets that 
are just really embracing this and really enjoying this moment. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're really tapping into something that's just so core to who we are as humans, right? And, and I mean, that that ultimately is, is, is what every marketer sort of I would argue, um, aspires to, but it's, um, it is contrarian arguably, but it is, um, it just hits home and it's also universal, right? I mean, it's just, um, it's turning, um, a a negative connotation of waste into something that's positive and arguably there's nothing is a waste of time because it's time is the most precious commodity. So, um, absolutely love that. Did you work with an agency for that work or was that in-house? A little bit of both. Um, coming up with those exact words of waste more time didn't come easy. We wanted to stay true to who the brand was and being a little bit disruptive. You could yeah. do a lot of things that seem very vanilla, but mm-hmm. how does it seem something that's true to Timex? And um, we did partner with and having amazing conversations with High Snobiety. I have to give them credit of working with us and really talking through that. Um, we don't have a brand problem. If people, mm-hmm. they really yeah. talked to cultural pioneers and, and saw the excitement that people had. I've been watching the brand and what's been, what's been going on. And they have some really cool retro styles and new and look at these partnerships. But we had a, a, a relevance opportunity to make mm-hmm. our brand relevant to consumers. And so it was a really um, fun partnership and working with them through this. And so... You know, through that, just like you were saying, you know, in the beginning, vintage, this is coming off the heels of really looking at a two-year project also, not just on this messaging, but being able to introduce um, the first circular program in watches ever, mm. which is not, it's sad to me that we're the first. We're parts of many, many firsts, but this one in particular we are taking back any brand. It doesn't matter what it is. And we've had some brands that come back. We want to 
as pioneers as what Timberland's DNA, Timberland Timex, you got to cut that. Timex's DNA has been um, all about is really listening to consumers and what they want mm-hmm. and doing our part. They want brands that stand for something beyond pushing your your product at them. And so we listened and doing our part to keep watches out of landfills mm. and to do that as well as resell. So we mm-hmm. really pushed hard to do both at the same time and to and to launch that. We were blown away. We sold out of all of the watches that we had up there. And and right away people were like, I have my grandfather's watch. I haven't been able to have it work. We'll fix it. They send it in. We had more downloads, blown away um, by that as well. And so we're continuing to just move on that and hope, honestly, more accessory brands come into play. Well, I mean, so it's interesting. Um, you know, it feels like during these challenging economic times, sustainability has taken a kind of a backseat to some other priorities. But from what it sounds like, you've you've leaned into it yeah. even further really leaned in to bring just to your point at the beginning of the conversation how do you introduce your brand some people want these extra accessories but with discretionary income where do they want to spend it on so how do we have an easy point of entry that could be that extension of themselves bring them into the fold in a very affordable and incredible way all these watches have a story we, mm-hmm. you know, in some of it, we still get letters, we get letters, we get DMs, and long letters of people just even sending their watches. I, you know, Google Alert, show me we're mentioned in many, you know, people who have passed on, but who, who talk about the watches or talk about working for the brand or loving the brand. It's just really, really incredible. And the stories just continue. And so we want yeah. that story to continue of that watch and give it to a new home. Well, it, it's a double entendre, I guess, on the word waste, right? <laughs> because absolutely nothing is waste. I mean, you're actually you could tee um, me up anytime, Jenny. You just keep <laughs> kind of putting it in. I'm like, all right, come on over. It works. It works. Um, now I got to ask you the question, of course, because the rubber hits the road when around all this in terms of sales and business growth, and so you know, what's been particularly as associated with this latest campaign, but perhaps there are other, um, you know, initiatives you would like to point to, but where are you seeing the returns and how are you measuring those? You know, it's, you have so many different KPIs when you start out in the campaign and for, for waste more time, revenue was not one of the goals because we wanted to take a pause and moment in a difficult environment and really invest in the brand and introduce the brand in a different way. That said, what I love, data helps you. And data pointed out that we had more people spending time on our site, the site, even, you know, where you can look and pull the data we saw on other sites too, an uplift in sales as well. And so while we all say maybe it was just awareness campaign and nice Mm -hmm. to have, we were actually really, it really showed and proved that emotionally connecting to, to people really helps grow your brand as well. Yeah. But you have, you know, whether it's new consumers, people that come to your site, relative sales, it's also, um, you know, the soft pieces of, the, of people engaging, whether it's this brand campaign or a new launch of a product and what are they saying 
And what should we make next? And what story should we tell next? Mm-hmm. Most of these are driven from the insights and scaling both our target consumers as well as finding new consumers and what types of partnerships. But at the end of the day, you have to drive brand heat and revenue. I mean, the old school marketing of just making fluffy campaigns and sitting at a photo shoot are long gone. You know, it's to make sure that we do that and and feel feel a part of that. Don't feel like you're a drain on the P&L. You're part of that. Well, let's let's talk about that quickly. I I know we don't have much time left, but, you know, with the Marketing Vanguard podcast, obviously – what we focus on here is marketing leadership, right? And the decisions you're making every day um, to drive not just brand but business performance as a, you know, viable, um, you know, um, efficient and, um, and you know, fundamentally necessary contributor to the C-suite. And, you know, there's there's been so much talk lately, especially in always. I mean, it's always – frankly, the same conversations over and over again around, you know, C-suite partnership and the necessity of CMOs and CEOs being in lockstep. And and yet the narrative around CMOs feels like the narrative is um, driving CMOs, not the other way around. And CMOs need to really kind of take back that narrative and own it and drive it um, and not be positioned as sort of, um, you know, frankly, victim to the forces that exist outside of their purview. And so from your standpoint, what are you doing, you know, as a marketing leader, and you've had so many posts at so many different brands, um, to really finally drive and um, make incredibly clear your value to the organization and marketing's value to driving business? Jenny, that was such an amazing lead-in because I will tell you, I've avoided – the the title mm-hmm. many times mm-hmm. for the specific data that says first to go yeah and wanting to drive that value and and show that value i think at the end of the day when you think of the cmos that really think big picture and full picture that they're connecting dots and the way that you show your value too is not staying in your little silo of in the marketing team and doing being a seat at the table across, really looking at what are the product briefs? What are we doing? What are we driving? What are the insights? Who do you work with? If there's an opportunity to pivot, connecting that dot, who who should be involved or be communicated to in this change? And thinking across the ecosystem of your organization to be that leader and communicating and bringing the right people together to solve problems. The more that you change and pivot, sometimes it's not the sexiest jobs. You're not sitting there creating all the, the fun marketing pieces. You're, you're driving profitability. You're streamlining new technologies. That's why I love marketing. Mm-hmm. Give you the ability to change your mindset and adopt and test and learn in new, new ways of reaching consumers or bringing products to market. That part I thrive on and that part, the CMOs and leaders or marketing leaders that can do that, I think are the ones that are going to. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, look, I, I, I'm, I also I have a personal sort of interest in uh, marketing education and how to what extent it's keeping up with and is remaining in line with the ever-changing demands of marketing and marketing leadership and organizations. And you know, I can imagine there's some marketing leaders who are sitting there saying, yeah, but I 
I have a marketing degree or, you know, I've never managed a P&L or, you know, I, I don't have an MBA. Like how, you know, I do think it's, you know, my feeling is it's the onus is on CMOs to actually continue to find those opportunities, not just to have impact, but to learn and 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 reach out for for additional resources as needed so that they can have those conversations that are, you know, um, resonating with CFO and sort of on par with um, a CEO's vision and vice versa, right? So I agree with you. That's actually brilliant and a nice way. I'd like to go back and see what the textbooks say and understanding yeah. for undergrad where how that thinking is because the mm-hmm. thinking and what I learned is completely different today. Yeah. But to be able to pivot into different parts of the organization, I did a startup in one part of my career. I wanted to know, I worked in these big brands and I did a startup specifically to be closer to literally waiting for a check to come in and watching, can we pay the teams? And so doing that and really understanding a P&L and really the marketers before where they're like, oh, I don't like numbers. What? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you're analyzing data. Yeah. And so how are you going into it and understanding, Jenny, I'll go with you on a road trip and go <laughs> go on college tours and educate. Because I do think it's what makes it so interesting and what makes this technology and consumer and what I went back in the beginning of fast paced, ever changing, you got to love it and you have to yeah. adapt to it and right. make yourself valuable. If you don't feel valuable, waste more time finding out how can you and just do that. A hundred percent. Well said. And that and that's and that's what does make the role unique because I don't all due respect to CFOs and CEOs and CIOs. I mean, I think they don't there isn't a mandate or an expectation or a necessity for them to to really get out of um, their silo necessarily and 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 be able to sort of take on new skills and and continually learn in the same way. I would argue that CMOs need to do that. So maybe that's at the end of the day, that is the that is the the secret sauce is is this continuous learning journey that Absolutely. I think um, most successful CMOs are able to continual continually embrace. Well said. Um, Sherry, one of the last questions I have for you is with the Marketing uh, Vanguard um, podcast and everything we do at Adweek um, under the Marketing Vanguard name is we want to create opportunities for shining light on next generation marketing leaders. You know, the folks who are sort of the heirs apparent of today's um, suite of, of CMOs. And um, as part of that, would love to ask you a question, you know, who should we interview next and who, you know, who's somebody you admire from afar who you've never met or who's somebody that you know very, very well, and you just feel like they're somebody that we should definitely interview for the podcast next. Do you have a pen and paper or <laughs> get your keyboard? About 12 people. Oh, um, my goodness. That's, um, it's hard because there's so many that would love to listen to. I've listened to so many that you have already interviewed, which ones I didn't even think of that were just brilliant. And, um, really exciting and amazing to listen to. So if people haven't heard it, they should absolutely go back (laughs) through. And they're really interesting. I have to start with the people that I've known along my journey. There's a few. You pick who you want, Jenny. But I will say, you know, when you look at, you know, someone like Michelle Poole, she came from Converse and Timberland, two of my companies. She's the president of Crocs. She found a way to make her brand relevant in embracing 
ugly shoes and putting them together in a new way and putting them on runways and fun collabs and bringing them to consumers around the world. I feel like that's brilliant. And she is passionate. She is one of the nicest people and Mm -hmm. super fun for you to talk to. The other I think of is Sharon John. She is the CEO of Build-A-Bear. I, she has the brilliant left brain and right brain creative leader. She worked in toys. She was a creative, forced herself to go to grad school and major in finance to use the other side of her brain. And she has shifted Build-A-Bear from a store-only brand to fully omni-channel, really robust so cool. online, which was so needed, obviously, during a pandemic and giving children an experience and, and adults. It's not just for kids. Adults go in who just, mm-hmm. you know, became a doctor or do things that go back. <laughs> I have been sitting yeah. in that store and just see that experience. And that's a big storytelling. Um, and it's now a full entertainment company. Ex- yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, and the last one is Janine Rock. I worked with her at Timberland. She helped me launch Community Builders Tour. And she is someone I've watched her career, someone that was on your team and just beloved and now CMO and portfolio brands. Um, and she's just an incredible person. So I could go on for two hours, but your Love show that. isn't long enough. Um, <laughs> but there's incredible people. There's incredible women and men that I've worked with that are just storytellers. And I admire this day. You know, when you work for brands that these people are still your became from colleagues to to close friends that are still part of my circle of calling in and getting advice and what do you think and I saw that and still collaborating together in your point before of constantly learning and growing it's it's needed you can't stand on an island by yourself you have to work with others absolutely not well sherry you have done that you've you've actually enabled that for other people by by sharing your expertise and your wisdom and and I thank you for all that. Um, I love the three suggestions you named, um, particularly the the CEO, because we will have and have had CEOs on the show because we think that obviously, um, you know, sp- speaking to folks who had had been CMOs who have moved into the CEO role is a unique cohort of individual that um, I think has a, an interesting perspective to bring to bear to the CEO role, as well as marketing minded CEOs, you know, who just in their own right, um, recognize Pleasure the to work with and power. Yes. Of marketing and organizations. So anyway, Sherry, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and meeting you and hearing the story. And I look forward to us meeting again soon. So I would love it. That let's go on our tour. Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Marketing Vanguard, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and ACAST Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Jordan Pretano, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGibbony at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. Thanks for listening.